Well, hello, hello. How are you? Welcome to Business of Design. This is episode 286, and we're going to be talking about decision fatigue today with a decision-making expert named Nika Kibiri. Did you know there were such things as decision-making experts? I didn't, but boy, was I happy to learn that. And this will be the first conversation we're going to have with Nika. I know there will be others because she's full of great advice. And the timing couldn't have been more perfect. We just came off a huge installation at a cottage about two and a half hours or three hours away from the office this past week. And boy, I... I was just wiped out at the end of it. It's physically demanding, of course, to completely install a full house, but it's also mentally exhausting to make the number of decisions that are required in such a short period of time. For instance, on Tuesday, we had our first delivery and we had six moving people and four moving trucks filled with furniture, accessories, and artwork. It was a lot of stuff. And the cottage is situated in such a way that it's 63 steps down to the cottage from the parking area. That's a lot of steps. So right away, you know, the poor moving guys, they really had their work cut out for them. And on this particular day, we just got a crew that had an attitude of this can't be done. Uh, which was just really challenging. And so there were a lot of decisions around that. How do I speak to them? Which one of the crew do I talk to? How can I get them on board? What can we do to solve the challenges we're having because they're just not working efficiently? Basically, they were spending a lot of time complaining about how hard it was. And it was hard. I can't take that away from them. Now, on Wednesday, we had a totally different crew, two more trucks and four guys, and they were amazing totally different attitude. We got this. Don't you worry. We're on top of it. And they killed it. They were just, they couldn't have been better. So fewer decisions on Wednesday in terms of the movers. But those, of course, aren't the only decisions there are to be made, right? We've got to unpack all the accessories that we've borrowed and place them around the house. Should I go with a green vintage jar in the laundry room, but it also looks good in the family room? Hmm, what do you think is going to make the most sense? Should I do these baskets in the powder room, but she also needs baskets in the kitchen? You know, I think these look better in the kitchen. I like these better. More decisions. And then artwork. 40-something pieces I brought into the house. And like, mm, I like that there, but you know what? It would really also look good in the primary bedroom. Can I see it over there? Hmm, how high? A little bit higher, I think. No, you know what? I think that's a bit too high, but they're very tall family, so maybe a little higher. You know what I'm saying. I know you do. I came away from those three days, and I just felt like I couldn't make another decision. I didn't even know what to wear the next day. I just put on the jeans that were hanging on the outside of the closet because they were the first thing I saw. So as I said, this conversation is a timely one. And you know, Nika reminds me that not every decision is life and death. And some decisions can be made. And if you don't like the results, you can change those decisions. You can rely on experts to help you make some of the decisions. And I think the most important thing I learned from Nika on this podcast is that experts make mistakes all the time. And part of our problem is, of course, we don't remember the 1,000 things we got right. We remember the one mistake we made. Ugh, 
I'm so hardwired like that. I bet you are too. It's a great episode, and let me tell you about Nika. She says she's a decision-making specialist who helps people make hard choices so they can move forward with minimal regret. She spent over two decades studying how people make decisions in a variety of contexts, from relationships to politics to business, and she's worked with some big-hitting clients like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, PepsiCo, General Mills, Fitbit, Oakley, and more. Currently, she serves as a senior director of decision science at Clio, where she helps transform the legal industry and improve access to justice through better decision making. She also advises individuals needing help making the right choices. Nika earned her PhD in sociology from the University of Washington, where her academic focus was on choice theory and institutional analysis. She's also a former faculty member at the University of Washington, where she taught decision science. All right, then, we're going to get into the episode. And before we do, a few announcements from Cheryl Horn. Thank you so much for being here, everyone. Hey, Kimberly, Uh, we actually have a lot coming up. Uh, While you'll be traveling, Janine and I will be taking over BOD Live. So join us next week. On Wednesday, August 24th, uh, Janine will be talking about team-facing procedures. So the Business of Design 15-step project management strategy, uh, the way it is taught within our programming is our client-facing procedures and how they experience the project from start to finish. But the systems you have within your office certainly go beyond that, and there's a lot of um, additional procedures that are really just intended for your team. And that's what Janine is going to talk to you about. In September, uh, we have a bit of a full calendar. Kimberly will be in New York on September 14th for Take Flight, thriving as a small business, which is in partnership with Daniel House Club. And it will be moderated by Interior Design Magazine. So Kimberly will be joining other industry leaders to share the tools that they've relied on to have uh, thriving businesses. So of course, Kimberly will be sharing some systems from Business of Design. So join her if you're going to be heading to New York for what's new, what's happening on September 14th. Make sure you check out that event. Details are on our website. On Wednesday, September 21st, our next BOD Live is going to be a book club and we're reading Atomic Habits. So hopefully you are too and you're going to join us for that conversation as well. And then the next one we've been getting so many questions about or so much interest about, I should say, is our contract for commercial projects, which is going to start out as a live seminar on Thursday, September 29th at 12 p.m. EST. This is going to be a two hour virtual seminar with the opportunity to ask Kimberly questions live. So make sure you sign up for that. As with all of our contracts, it will be available within the BOD shop following this seminar. But if you really want to make the most of this and ask questions about commercial projects and specifically about the contract, make sure you do register for that. And registration is open. Details for all of these events are on the website. And by all means, if you've got any questions, reach out to me, Cheryl at businessofdesign.com. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. 
Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. We have the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to consistently satisfy clients, increase profitability, and run your projects like a boss. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to hundreds of targeted training modules, plus member perks like BOD Live events, member-only podcasts, preferred pricing, and the support of an engaged community of peers. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. I'm so happy to meet you. I, I looked at my calendar today. I'm like, oh, I forgot I had a podcast. And then I saw it was you. And I was like, oh, perfect timing. Aww. Welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I, I'm happy to be here. I'm so, excited about our conversation. Yes. Okay. So um, everybody, Nika is a decision-making expert. And when I reached out to her, I said, I think interior design professionals make millions of decisions in a year. And I just came off three days of a client installation where I really feel like I have decision fatigue from the many, many choices I had to make quickly. And I know that there are some who really struggle with decision-making and sometimes I do as well. So I thought maybe that's a good place to start to talk about why it is we struggle with decisions. How do we get out of our own way? And what what can we learn from somebody? I didn't even know there was such a thing as a decision decision science. So I don't even know where to start. I can't decide where we should start, Nika. <laughs> well, I'll start by telling you that after having um, decorated this house that I just moved into, um, I live in the middle of nowhere. There aren't any designers out here, but I so badly wanted to hire one for the specific reason of offloading my decisions on them. It was almost like I wanted that relief. I wanted that relief for myself um, to not feel that fatigue and not to feel regret. Cause what do I know about design? Right. Okay. But now like, I have to ask, where do you live? Because maybe there's a business of design person who's like, I'm phoning you. Where do you live? Uh, I live in Colorado in a small town called Fairplay. There's like less than a thousand people, maybe a thousand people living here. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. Well, at least you have some appreciation for, you know, the the weight, the burden. And you you said it. It's about what if I make the wrong decision? I, I'm going to, yeah. if you're decorating your own home, you're like, I'm going to have to live with this bad decision forever. If you're decorating on behalf of a client or building or designing on behalf of a client, it's like, what if they hate it? What if it's wrong? Right. Well, I think you can temper that fear with the fact that just by even taking on those choices, you're offering value to your clients. So even if you get it not quite perfectly right, the fact that you're taking on that burden and they don't have to worry about that anticipated regret, they don't have to worry about the the fatigue, it's that alone, in my opinion, would be a huge benefit that you're offering. And in fact, it might not be a bad idea to market yourself that way to say, you don't have to worry about the decision. You take it, take it on. I feel like you already probably changed some lives by just by saying that. I I say (laughs) this all the time. We often are under the mistaken impression that clients hire us because we have good taste. And that's great. That's terrific. That's a wonderful thing we bring to the table. But what you just said is actually why I think most 
clients hire designers. There's an overwhelming number of choices and decisions. It's exhausting. And we take that on for the client so they don't have to. And that should be part of every single interior design professional's value statement and what they do. Exactly. I think so. And I mean, there is a lot to the fact that you are experts because you've made these decisions a million times before. I've decorated twice in my life, right? Like I've really cared about it twice in my life. You do this all the time. So the assumption is that even if I don't necessarily agree with your choice, the assumption is that you're much more experienced at those decisions. And so that I should kind of, as a client, I might think about let, relinquishing some uh, some control because you have that experience, not in necessarily design, but in making choices around design, like which colors, which textures, which pieces, like you've done that a million times. You've made those choices, you know. <laughs> Would it surprise you if I told you that so many design professionals feel so intimidated by having to make those choices that, that, you know, we hear from them all the time that they want to go to the client and say, here's five different things you can do as a way of putting the burden of making the choice onto the client. And, and we teach that we actually think the client's paying you for your opinion and to make that choice on her behalf. Let's call her a her for today. Right. You know, I wonder if, and I do this kind of work, I'd study lawyers too, and it, it's not the same, but there are similarities. Um, lawyers often, and a lot of professions are this way. Um, how much decisions should, how, how much of decision-making should you make? How much should they make? And in talking to consumers about hiring a lawyer, um, and I imagine they're, they would think the same about hiring a designer, they kind of want to co-own the decision-making, so they kind of want to decide what decisions they need to make and what decisions they want to offload. So yes, like I think clients are hiring designers so that they don't have to make decisions, but I think they want to be in control and have autonomy on which decisions they want to offload. So a good way of avoiding some of that, those, you know, challenges of, of, making decisions for your clients is just have a conversation about, you know, is this a choice you want me to make? Or is this a choice that you want to make? Like, should I choose the color or do you want to choose the color? Like, what do you, how do you want to divvy up this partnership? And I think approaching that as a partnership um, might be a good way to go. And people who hire lawyers are people who hire designers, people are people. And I think, I think the same would apply. I think I want to add to that though, that, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves because we're looking for a guaranteed outcome and nothing in life is guaranteed. We hear that all the time, but we don't really let it sink in that there are a million variables at play that could determine whether or not your ultimate design, the, um, the fruits of your labor will be appreciated or not. And some of those variables have to do with your client's mood it might have to do with whether they slept the night before. It might have to do with whether they watched some random show that, you know, that kind of just piqued their interest on design or something that came through their Twitter feed. They might change their minds. I mean, we're dynamic people. We change our minds. We're inconsistent. This is research backed. So, you know, you can take yourself, give, you know, give yourself a break, take yourself off a hook a little bit that you're just trying to maximize your, the chances of pleasing your client. You're trying to increase the odds and that's the best you can do. 
Yeah, I think that that is true as well. And I I often think about other professionals I hire. And if I'm going to someone for expertise, it could be a lawyer. um, I want that person to tell me, what's my best move here? And I would Mm -hmm. be completely undone by someone who says, well, we could do this, 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 or this, or this. Yeah. Right? Same thing about like, I'm I'm always joking. Well, I'm not really joking. I would, I want to, I wish I could find someone who would give me a neck lift, but I won't take a minute off work (laughs) to do it. But you know what I mean? If I went to a plastic surgeon and they said, well, I don't know, maybe we could do this or we could do this or we could do this, I would run for my life. So I think in some ways, yeah. We we need that expert that we're hiring to say this is the right choice for you, even if we're not a hundred percent sure it's the right choice. Does that make sense? Does that make me yes. a bad person? Yeah. No, not at all. Um, I think what people like experts don't do enough of is share the trade offs of each option. Like you might tell your client. And I don't know a lot about design, so forgive me if my examples are pretty crappy. But you might tell your client, you know, you could go for a green, velvety kind of textured couch, or you can go for a tan, leathery couch. Like, which one do you want? Um, But if you don't explain the trade-offs, then they might not be able to make the decision easily. They get more fatigued. They get frustrated. So by trade-offs, I mean the pros and cons, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, if you get a velvety green colored couch, then you would need to get a rug that has this texture. And, you know, you would have to, I don't know, it's not as um, easy to clean as a leather couch. as a leather couch, you can see how I'm struggling about with this. I love it. Examples. Nika has a PhD and but, I don't know how many other degrees, but like a velvet sofa is throwing her. I love it because I, I was reading. Because so- I, have, <laughs> I have a green velvet sofa right here and it took a long time for me to choose to get it. And I love it. But, you know, I had to think, you have to think through the trade-offs, right? Like you have to think of the pros and cons. And I don't think people hear enough of those. That's education. That's information that helps them make a decision. So if you can't make the decision for them or you shouldn't, or you don't want to, and you want, they want to make it, then give them the right information, arm them well to make the right choice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that's really good advice. Okay. Now, what do we say to that person who is just constantly crippled by fear of stating a firm opinion when they're with clients, because it Mm. it just invariably the clients will say, well, you know, there's, uh, the the pot light can't be there. Where should it be? Boom. And they're looking at you and all of a sudden you're a deer in the headlights. So what are the things we can say to ourselves to to ourselves to help us get into the right frame of mind Mm. to make a choice? Right. So research shows that people who, um, have a lot of regret in their past, who feel regret, experience regret in past decisions, are more likely to fear future regret and more likely to be paralyzed in the face of future decisions, right? Because if you've experienced negative consequences or even blame, it's not just anticipated regret, it's blame. Um, If you've had bad experiences in the past where you've been blamed disproportionately for a decision, then you're going to have cold feet moving forward. Um, the, the problem is that, is that the way that our brains are structured, hyper-efficient, we remember only some things that happened to us. Um, and when we remember those things, 
and we want to make future decisions, we only pull on those things that we remember as evidence of what might happen in the future. We may not remember all the times that we made a great decision because nobody patted us on the back, but we do remember those two or three times where somebody, you know, chewed us out because we chose, you know, that wallpaper or whatever. Um, And then we pull only on those recollections and we have no memory of all the other stuff. So, but all you have to do is remember that statistically speaking, there is no way that you messed up every single time. Like there's no way that you have made errors every single step of the way in your career. And you are just forgetting the times that you succeeded. And those should be weighed just as much as those times that you did not succeed. And that could, that could relax you a bit. Um, Also just remembering you're trying to maximize the chances. Like there's all this other stuff going on. You can let go of the, of the worry. Another technique or another hack that I use is thinking about the tolerance of a decision um, for error. And what I mean is um, say you make a decision, you advise a client in a particular way it's really kind of important to know if if this is kind of the a really big decision that does not have a, a lot of tolerance for error. So in other words, so, if we make the wrong decision, it's going to be something bad is going to happen. Or you can't reverse it. Or you can't, you know, for instance, if you are deciding on wall paint, mm-hmm. um, choose the wrong color, there's a lot of tolerance for error there because you can just paint over it if you don't like it. Right. But if you're building out a kitchen, right. like there's low tolerance for error. So if you're in, in those situations where somebody's like, where should I put this vase? Just put it over there. Yeah. Like we can move it. You don't like it. Like don't, you, it's that flexibility and being open to like changing, changing it up is important. So talk yourself through what's what's sometimes I'll say to myself what's the worst case scenario um what's the worst thing that's going to happen here if I if I make this bad choice in just a moment Nika is going to respond to the merits of that scenario asking yourself what's the worst that can happen but before she does a quick word from our sponsors and now a word from our awesome sponsor Daniel House Club Thanks, guys, for sponsoring Business of Design Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast or a member of Business of Design, you know we don't frequently have sponsors. And that's because I feel an obligation to each one of you to make sure anyone who appears on this podcast that we endorse does a great job helping us interior design professionals do our job. And now I can say I have worked directly with Daniel House Club and I've been thrilled with the results. So what is Daniel House Club? I'm glad you asked. It's an amazing tool that allows us to make multiple purchases from multiple suppliers and vendors all in one place. And it gives us the deep discounts which allow us to be profitable and to save our clients money. Recently, I know they had a purchase of over $100,000 from one designer, and that one purchase included 93 items from 22 different vendors. Imagine how much time you could save with that kind of buying power. Even if you have a small firm, trust me, this is a great resource. 
Let me tell you something else I love. When I signed up to become a member, I got 30 days of free shipping, and that is substantial these days. So we really took advantage of that with our first order and, in fact, a couple subsequent orders. We even ship product across the border, U.S. to Canada. Pretty sweet. You lucky business of design listeners can go to danielhouse.club and you can sign up for your own membership using the discount code BODPRO. You'll get 50% off on your membership and that coveted 30-day free shipping. Thank you, Daniel House, for sponsoring Business of Design. I should say this is also an opportunity for me to promote the fact that I will be in New York City on September 14th with Daniel House Club and others at the What's New, What's Next event hosted by Interior Design Magazine. We'll be at the LaPere showroom in the New York Design Center and we'll be talking about fledgling designers. Oh yeah, I remember what that was like and some of the tools that can help their business grow obviously business of design, but of course there are other tools as well. And I would love to meet each and every one of you. Come on out to the New York Design Center and say hello. Can't wait to meet you in person. And now back to the show. Okay. Is it also, would it also be okay? I mean, we can't be expert in everything. I have this weird hang up when it comes to choosing paint colors. And it's because I've had regret in the past. Not that it's so Uh hideous that anyone's complained, but I just feel like, oh, I wish I had gone a little darker or a little lighter. Frequently that happens to me. And so I've learned to say to my clients, I always do paint samples now because I don't want to regret at the end. So can we also do that? Can we like give ourselves an out for those decisions we are we know we're afraid of. I love what I love what you're saying. Um, it's it's just taking little steps towards a decision as opposed to you know making a choice and diving in. Um, you know what I love is the fact that you you took kind of what I call an experimental approach to to making your choices. Like you you tried something decision making wise. You you know let's just slap the whole wall. You know put orange on the entire wall. Um, didn't like it and then you learned from it. And you tweak your process. Like now I do samples. Um, it's really important to have that mind frame of learning, like testing and learning. And even before you make your choice to tell yourself, just this little voice in my head, I say to myself, let's just treat this like an experiment. This could fail. But if I learn from it, then that's fine. If it's if you treat it as an experiment, it also takes a lot of the, the pressure off. Um, but also making these tiny reversible decisions, like you can totally easily reverse, you know, a little sliver of paint on a wall much easier than a whole wall. So, um, trying to, um, make your choices or make your outcomes, um, reverse, irreverse proof. I'm trying to make up a word here and I don't know if I'm going to do it <laughs> well, but like, if you can make it as reversible as possible, yeah. then then low stakes, if you can turn a high stakes decision into a low stakes decision, totally. Well, there's also the, the fact of the matter is if you literally are making a thousand decisions, and I do feel like in the last three days, I made thousands of decisions. Like, mm-hmm. we, you know, I the way that we do our installation processes at the end, I borrow a lot of artwork and I have art installers there and we hang everything for the clients and they come through the door and they go, wow, it's amazing. And I'm hoping they love the art I picked. But I literally had, you know, hung 40 
different works of art in the house, not all expensive, not all precious, some in the kids' rooms or whatever, but I have to make that decision and move on because there's no time to agonize over it. And that's a good example of a, of a, of a decision where the stakes aren't very high. If they don't like the artwork, we take it away because they haven't purchased it. In fact. Right. So I can't even remember where I was going with that. What I can't, I don't even remember. See, I'm so decision (laughs) fatigued. I can't even follow my own line of questioning. (laughs) No, no, no. But what you said made me think of something. Um, and I hope I can keep, keep the memory of it. Um, you're trying to, I mean, you're, you're in the job of people pleasing really. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. your design is you think you love to do for yourself. What you're trying to do for them is make them happy. And sometimes making them happy isn't really giving them the best design because their taste could be wonky, right? But you're trying to please someone who you don't know very well. And it's it's kind of like, don't be so hard on yourself if you can't get it right. You don't have, you will never have access to the information you need to make the perfect decision. It's a flaw. It's a flaw in your decision-making process that's embedded in the situation. So take your time to get to know this person and pick up information as you go along, ask all sorts of questions about them, their lifestyle, their, you know, their likes or dislikes, all of the stuff that you do, but just also know some things are not knowable. You, you don't, you can't predict what's going to make them happy and they might expect you to, that's on them. That's like, that's where client relationship, like relations work, where you kind of put on a smile, but internally, like, it's not about you. It just can't be about you. And it's not just, you know, with work, if you're an interior design professional, it's like, where should we go for dinner? Would you want to go see a movie? Which one? Where should we go on vacation? Should I bring my white linen pants or do we think, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And you can think of all those decisions having like a high tolerance for error. You could go on vacation to five different places and you probably still have a good time. You don't have to labor that decision. Same with dinner, like pizza or burger, like salad or soup. Like by the time the dinner's over, you're not going to remember either way. Right. So why do we toil over these choices that, yeah. Okay. That have a high tolerance. It's true. All right. Is there anything we can do to speed up our ability to make decisions? Well, that. You know, that's an interesting question because the problem usually is not thinking slowly enough. <laughs> um, it's like our brains are wired to think fast. And that's the problem. Like all the decision mistakes that we make aren't really mistakes as much as just part of how our brains function and also how we function in, in a social group, our, our, our social environments, the influence that we have. So it's kind of a it's a natural thing for us to think much more quickly than we should. But if you have to think even more quickly, I mean, one thing to do is to think about all the decisions you make and under, and try to figure out which ones are um, can be automated in a way um, without sounding too like high tech or anything. But you can even without using any technology, automate decisions, automate your mental processes and making choices. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like if you, if there are choices you make on a regular basis with every client, 
try to streamline that mental process that you use and come up with steps that you can just plug and play every time you're in that situation. Does uh, that make sense? Oh yeah. You're speaking my language. We have, we have a, a huge thick book of standards. So on every project, mm-hmm. we like light switch, you know, the light switches to be at this height. We like the outlets to be at this height. So those, the, that, yep. You know, capturing those things that we do all the time is is a game changer and a, and a lifesaver, I would say. 100%. What about trusting my gut? Can I trust my gut when I'm making decisions? <laughs> um, my advice would be to go with your gut if you have no time to, to gather information and to, to, to kind of process pros and cons. If you don't have access to any of the right information, like it's just not, you won't ever get it. Um, So you can't, again, like process pros and cons or forecast likelihoods or all the things that go into rational decision making. Um, And if you don't, like there's a really high tolerance for error in the outcome. I think there are a lot of people who say, trust your gut, trust your instincts, even experienced interior designers, they are experienced in their own professional lives. There are a lot of experiences that a bunch of other designers have had that they have never had that could be just as informative, right. just as valuable. So that's why I always advise, like when you're trying to make a decision, rather than looking inward for information, like what do I feel? What do I want? What's my gut telling me? That's looking inward for information. You've got this limited data set. It's just you and your life and your feelings. And there's all this other information out there that you're not tapping into that could help you make a better decision. So unless you can't get that information, you don't have time to get it. I would not actually go with my gut. <laughs> and I, and sometimes I it's hard to know what, what's my gut saying? I don't know. It's busy. It's not helping me at all well, here, right? What about I mean, how many times... Well, let me ask you, just like in, just think about romantic relationships for a minute. How many times has your gut told you one thing about this one person and the next day your gut's telling you the exact opposite <laughs> about the same person? Yeah. Like, this is going to be a great, great idea. idea. <laughs> <laughs> I actually right. have these cocktail napkins that say, that's a horrible idea. What time? <laughs> exactly. That's going with your gut. That is going with my gut. Absolutely. But you uh-huh. said something that I think is so important. Um, it, and you, we should talk about that. Experts make mistakes. Experts mm-hmm. make mistakes. I'm going to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. You're going to make a mistake. And so mm-hmm. knowing that is also helpful, right? Like we're not telling our clients it's going to be perfect and we know everything. We're going to we're going to make some mistakes. Exactly. Exactly. And I when I work one-on-one with clients, I'd never tell them what to do. Like I don't I don't well, I try not to. Again, I probably make mistakes there too. It's really about guiding them to make their own best choice. So, I mean, yeah. We're all we're all flawed. Yeah. And you know, the fact of the matter is sometimes I'm thinking, just make a decision. And if it's a wrong decision, change it, do it differently. You know, you'll have another, you'll have another opportunity. (laughs) 
Right. You wear the hoops and it doesn't look good. You just take them off. No big deal. <laughs> we, um, oh, I know what I, I'm going to ask you. We like to end every episode with something we call design intervention. It's just a great piece of business advice. So I'll, I'll plant mm-hmm. that seed right now. But before you give us that, tell us how people can reach you and tell me if you have more than, have you written more than one book? Because we want to feature you in our BOD Live for January book club. Um, I am in, I'm in the process of writing a second book and it is on decision-making. It's called Your Next Decision and it, it will be like a guide to making decisions. The book that I've already published is with um, my friend, Tony Sablon, who is a wealth advisor. It's about investing, but this is going to be more general about decisions overall. Um, I have a website that has fresh content. It's just it's kind of a revamping of a, of a website. So there's going to be new content added. Um, it's yournextdecision.com. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Nika Kabiri. Um, and yeah, I'm always dropping tips and hints on how to make better choices for businesses and people. I love it. Such good information today. Thank you so much. So design intervention. Yeah, it, it, it's just a way of kind of closing out the show with a great piece of business advice you think is translatable to our community, perhaps. Oh, gosh, one, I can only pick one. <laughs> um, you have to decide. I have to just, oh my gosh, no, I can't. I can't them. <laughs> or you can give us more than one. <laughs> we'll see the, the one, the one here's, here's the advice I like to give most start like tech startups, but designers are different. So what I tell tech startups is overconfidence bias is going to be your killer. Like mm-hmm. the, 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 what overconfidence bias is really about is that you think, you know, more than you do. You think you can do more than you can. You're not really full of enough self-doubt. Like it's almost like bring it down. Let's be a little bit more doubtful um, because you're going to miss something and you're going to make the wrong decision. It sounds like perhaps designers are the other way, that they have a lot of self-doubt. Totally the opposite, yeah. Um, And to that, I would say good. I would say good because you are not at risk for not noticing mistakes. It's almost like a superpower. The only thing that you need to tweak to that is to relax the pressure of um, that worry is to remember that there are variables that you will never be able to control that will in Uh, dictate the outcome of your choices. So, you know, your client is a big part of it. They're probably going to be fickle. They don't know what they're doing half the time. They're not good decision makers. They're fatigued. So you kind of have to say that's them. But that self-doubt is if you can channel it towards um, a kind of experience where you're you're looking for truth. You're looking for the best solution rationally, as opposed to, yeah, I'm a badass. I can do everything. Um, embrace it. I think it's a good thing. I love people with self-doubt. Like I hire people with self-doubt. I work with, I love working with people with self-doubt because they, they do the research. They will think very thoughtfully. They'll be very careful. They won't run head on into a wall. That's actually really good advice. Yeah, I think that that's really good advice. And I think that part of it, too, is to just be to move a little slow enough so that you can analyze what went wrong. And so you maybe don't have to repeat it the next time. 
Exactly. Be experimental with it. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from your decisions. Nika, I would think you're just the busiest person in the whole world because I really don't know <laughs> anybody who doesn't struggle a little bit with decision making. And um, I, you know, I love the advice you gave us so far. This is one of the funnest conversations I've had for a podcast. Honestly, I think you are so much fun. I would love to have you at a business of design conference. We'll figure out how we're going to do that because I feel like we just need more of you in our lives. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to come to Colorado now. I've decided. You should. (laughs) I have a guest room. (laughs) And a green velvet sofa, by the way. That's just Uh really sexy. Good for you. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community and supporting BOD's mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. It's time for you to take the next step and join Business of Design. Like thousands of design professionals in 50 countries around the world, you'll find the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. What are you waiting for? Start today 